if you will, Psalm 80. I was debating what to to present to us tonight. Brother Ken, before we started, was talking about praying, about having something that we could take home um, from the conference, something that could be a means of edification and transformation. Psalm 80, if you will. Now, Psalm 80 is a pretty interesting psalm. It is in the middle. It is the middle psalm of all the psalms contained in this book. Not only it's the middle psalm, it is also the middle psalm of the seven psalms of destruction within this cluster. Not only that, this psalm is an exclusively northern kingdom psalm. Now, when we look at the psalms in, in the Psalter, most of them pertain to, to Judah, to the southern kingdom. But this, this psalm is all about the northern kingdom, written more than likely by a, it says, uh, a psalm of Asaph, probably one of these fine gentlemen that hailed from the northern kingdom. That's pretty interesting. Not only that, the name Joseph, with probably the exception of one or two, finds its cluster around Psalm 80. So you'll find the name Joseph mentioned in Psalm 81, in Psalm 78, in Psalm 77, all within this cluster. Outside this cluster, you would hardly, probably, probably one more, you will hardly find the name Joseph mentioned in the Psalter. Pretty interesting stuff. Show you why as we move through this psalm. This psalm also, by nature of the first verse, finds its connection with the previous chapter, or sorry, the previous psalm, Psalm 79, and saying, So we the people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Psalm 80 starts again with that same shepherd terminology, that same shepherd theme. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. And Israel here is connected with Joseph. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadeth Joseph. Joseph now being the representative name for the ten tribes of North. This psalm, therefore, is divided, but that's not what we're going to spend most of our time on. This psalm is divided into five strophes. That's the technical term. Paragraphs, if you're a layman. Five poetical paragraphs. And at the end of nearly all, barring one, you find the same or similar refrain. Verse three, turn us again, or literally, if you have another translation, restore, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse seven, restore us again, O God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, we will be saved. Verse 14 is a variant. Return, 
We beseech thee, O God, of course, look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. Verse 19, restore. O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, we shall be saved. And that's where we want to spend all of our time this afternoon, well, this evening. <laughs> but before we get there, let's look at this psalm, see what we can glean from it. Like I said, five paragraphs. In the Hebrew, it's five paragraphs of eight lines each. It starts off, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwelleth between the cherubim, shine forth. And it's very interesting, verse 2 says, Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh stir up thy strength, come and save us. It is very interesting that this, this chapter primarily deals with the northern kingdom because, as we read in the previous psalm, Psalm 78 and verse 9, we read that God had rejected the north. Psalm 78 verse 67 says, Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph, chose not the tribe of Ephraim. This is, this is recalling for us the rejection of the, the northern kingdom but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved, the place of the name. That's what it's called. Jerusalem is called the place of the name. And you've studied that out. It's an incredible, incredible thing to study about, especially when we understand the concept of Emmanuel, coupled with the name that God declared himself to Moses, which is translated translated in most, excuse me, of our English translations, I am that I am. But can also be translated in the future tense. So it's more likely, or it can be better translated, not just I am that I am, but I will be. But I will be what? I will be there. That's the basis of Emmanuel. I will be there, that's the essence of the name. So when the children of Israel come into the land and God said, I will choose out a place to dwell and I will put my name, I will be there. That's the place of the name. So the significance of, of the events that, that would transpire, the removal of the name through Solomon and, and then we see the city, the fulfillment in Exodus becomes greater in, in, in in its ridiculousness because the place where God said he would he will be there the place where it is the place of the name all of a sudden has all types of different names in it Molech Baal that's why you would say in Ezekiel look at what these people are doing so much that they have driven me from my place from my dwelling place where I have said that I will be there to the person I have to be in the Hebrew, but that's all as the other one say that's a rabbit trail because they have no notes. Um, so moreover, verse verse seven of, of Psalm seventy seven, moreover he refused the tabernacle of Joseph, chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. 
the Mount Zion which he loved. He built his sanctuary like high places, like the high palaces, sorry, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David and his servant. He took him <coughs> from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great as young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So we see that the, the, the record of this rejection of the North, and on the heels of that song, we have this one play so incri really interestingly on the heels of that declaration. And the psalmist is saying, give ear, O, sh o shepherd of Israel. Thou that leadeth Joseph, the same Joseph, that the psalmist earlier said that God rejected. That he didn't choose. Yet, as we turn the page, there's a cry. Thou that leadeth Joseph like a flock. Thou that dwelleth between the cherubim, shine forth. And that imagery should bring back to mind the Ezekiel vision of the glory of God. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come save us. That's the cry. Interesting enough that the author here should use the name Benjamin. Because wasn't Benjamin among two tribes that went south? Yet Benjamin here is attached to the north. And that's probably because the, the boundary between the north and the south were always flexible. Cities like Bethel, Gilgal, and Jericho, more often than not, were always included with the northern tribe. Sometimes they were in the south, but the border was flexible. Here, and this name Benjamin is going to be pretty prominent later down in this song. You probably won't see it right away, but it's there as important for what the psalmist is trying to portray to us. But he appeals to the shepherd of Israel and at the end of this first strophe, at the end of this first paragraph, we have the first recital of this refrain, turn us again or restore. Restore us, O God, cause thy face to shine. This is the ironic blessing. Cause thy face to shine. And as a result of that, we, the people that you have rejected, we will be saved. And in the second strophe, then the author goes on to, to cry unto God. He says, O Lord God of hosts, verse 4, how long will thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? He says that God has answered their prayers with bread, but it's not the bread that they want, it's the bread of tears. And he says that, that God has given them these tears to drink by the bowlful. That's what it means by thou has given them tears to drink of great measure. That, though that term great measure means by the bowlful. He didn't give them a sprinkling. He gave them by the bowlful. He said, Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, our enemies, literally, thou makest us 
a derision. Everyone that passed by us laughs at us. What you have done has caused our neighbors, has caused our enemies, have even caused some of our friends to laugh at us. Which then causes the author to recite the refrain again. This time, he adds another name for God. He starts out with Elohim in verse 3, but now in verse 7 it's, Restore us, Elohim Almighty. Sabaoth, God of the armies, God of hosts. Restore us, God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine. And we shall be saved. Then he turns from this in the in the third strophe now to the imagery of the vine. And this is probably the imagery that that undergirds, and this is the context that undergirds the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 15. When it says, I am the vine, and then I am the true vine. And then we see the same language in Isaiah chapter 5, in the parable of the vine. Where Isaiah says, you know what, with God, he, he, he had a vine. And he dig, he digged up the ground, he planted the vine, he put up a watchtower, he put in a wine press, he hedged it about. And when he looked to find good grapes, he found wild grapes. And said, what am I going to do with this? So he laid it waste. Broke down the hedges. Everyone that passed, it says, text says, you have made us to be like a cottage in a cucumber field. If you don't know what a cottage looks like in a cucumber field, it's a cottage in a cucumber field. <laughs> cucumber fields have no hedges around it. Very, very flat. Matter of fact, cucumbers grow on vines. But this imagery probably comes from the blessing of Israel back in Genesis 49-22 where he calls Joseph to be a fruitful bough. So it says, Thou hast brought a vine and now he's recounting their history, how God did brought a vine out of Egypt, speaking of the Exodus, said the castle, all the heathens planted this vine, said thou preparest room before, thou dost cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. Verse 10 says, the hills of the mountains were covered with the shadow of it. The mountains speaking metaphorically about the southern border, all the way down by Edom. Then it says the bows thereof were like the goodly cedars. That's the northern border. But how far did this land go? It says that the bows sent out their bows onto the sea. Talking about the Mediterranean Sea. And her branches even unto the river. And whenever you see the river, the word there is Euphrates. Far, far to the north. If you look at a map, you would notice that the Euphrates River is far north, far, far, far north, pretty much outside the scope of what I believe they're probably, the Israelite nation never truly encapsulated all of that land. 
far north, far past Damascus, which, by the way, is the only enduring city in the world. In the fourth strophe, he goes on and says, Why has thou broken down her hedges, so that they all which pass by do pluck it? Why is it that you have laid us waste so that anybody that passes by can unfair us? Brother Lindell briefly mentioned when the Babylonians were coming, the Edomites, they were saying, Oh, look, some over here, get them, get them. Oh, look, some over here, get them, get them. Anyone that passed by, done. Gone. No defenses. People were just picking them off left, right, and center just for fun. I remember I I like I like planting stuff. It's it's good. It's very therapeutic for me. Right? Very I like I like just going outside and, and dealing with plants. So one year, one year when I came back from Ghana, I brought back some beans, what we call bora beans. They're pretty long, fat, fat beans. We don't generally have them in Barbados. So I brought back some of these beans. The neighbor gave me some of these beans to bring back. So I brought them back, pretty excited. I get to plant them. I plant them and they grow very, very quickly. So if in a couple of weeks, vine over my head. So one day I went out and I saw these lovely beans, really great beans. And I said, the next day, I'm going to pick them. I'm going to pick them before the monkeys come and get them. The next day, I woke up early. The sun did not come over the, over, over the, uh, the horizon as yet. But when I got out there, I saw nothing but leaves. And I swear to myself, I was going crazy. I didn't wake up properly. Because I said, I swear that I left beans on the stalk. You know what happened? Well, the monkeys got them before I did. Never got any beans from that stalk. Never did. And I realized it was a waste of time. Because I didn't have anything around to stop the monkeys coming and taking them. And this is the idea here. There was nothing that would stop anybody from coming and taking what they wanted. It says the world of the wood, metaphor for Assyria. The world of the forest doth waste it, and the wild beasts of the field doth devour it. Have you ever gone boar hunting? Anyone? Anyone shoot wild hog? And Brother Trisha too, wild boars are one of the most terrible things you could get hit by. Yep. One of the most terrible things. If they get you this almost instant death. I remember when, again, I, I went to Guyana, I went to the interior, the day I got there, into one of the villages, in the interior, um, the guy that I was with, that day, a number of the villagers just got back from boar hunt. I mean, this, this boar was probably 300 to 400 pounds. Massive thing, 
big, big tough saying, tell me, you know what, if that ever gets you, that'll rip you in half. It's probably one of the most destructive things in the forest. You know why? Because they root. That's what boars do. They root, they pull up all the tubers, all the fiber, they make a mess of everything. And that's what the Assyrians were compared to. They don't have any defenses, and they're being destroyed by the, one of the most destructive pests in the woods. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think a year, a couple years ago, the army base in Georgia had a bounty on boars because they were destroying the infrastructure of the base. So bad they it says the bore of the wood literally doth waste it. The wild bees of the field doth devour it. And that causes then the author again to cry out with more urgency this time, return. We are begging you, God, return. And notice the, the, the urgency says, he says, look down, behold, and watch. Look down, behold, and watch. Watch this vine and the vineyard which thy right hand have planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. Look at what he's going to say now in the fifth and final scroll. This is this is really gets really interesting. There are three names here for Joseph. And the idea here, Brother John talked about corporate solidarity. And that means where one person takes on the identity of an entire group. And we don't really have that in our culture today. It's pretty hard to understand. The, the only, probably one of the only last examples that we have of that in our culture is in law. And they call it a legal fiction. What I mean by that is that, you know, if, if I walk into Chick-fil-A across the road and I stub my toe on something there and they say, you know what, I sue you. Right? And it goes to the manager and say, you know what, manager, it's your fault. I sue you. You know what the court brief is going to read? Philip Bird versus Chick Philip. It's a legal fiction. But for the purpose of fairness, you have one against one. But we know that Chick-fil-A is a massive organization. It has a, a CEO, it has board of directors, it has employees, it has shareholders. It's a legal fiction, but for the sake of fairness, it's one versus one. Corporate solidarity. That's the idea here. Notice the three names that are used for Joseph. That word branch in verse 15, if you have a newer version, is actually the word son. 
Not only that, in verse 17, we have let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand. Literally, the son of thy right hand. And that's a play on words for the name Benjamin. Benjamin, Ben, son, Yamin, right hand. Son of the right hand. And he's also called son of man. In the same verse. But what does that sound like? But those sounds like messianic titles. Well, wait a second. I thought all of those promises were given to David and his folk. Not the people up in the northern kingdom. So what's going on here? What, what, how do we understand what the author here is trying to get at us? Well, there is a tradition Well, the Northern Kingdom had a tradition of a deliverer. And it's not that there were going to be two deliverers, but there's going to be one. But the nature of this deliverer was, was so broad that not only did he, have, did, did he have to encapsulate the royal blood and the kingly line of David, someone that would rule, but he also had to encapsulate a Joseph, one that would be sold into slavery, one that would go down to the pit, and then ultimately one that would rise. So the Messiah had to encompass all of these things within himself. Characteristics that would that would in, that would enable him then to unite both tribes again because of who he is. That's right in verse, and he says, "So will not we go back from thee? Quicken us, or revive us, and we will call upon thy name. Restore us again." O Lord God of hosts. Notice this time again he adds on another piece of the name. He started out with Elohim, then he went Elohim Almighty. Now we have Yahweh Elohim Sabaoth. Lord God Almighty, Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Did you notice that at nearly in this psalm, at nearly every stage, significant stage in the development of the timeline of the nation? When these people really needed God, that is what he puts in. Did you catch that? These people who were 
rejected. These people who the psalmist says that he refused the tabernacles of Joseph. He chose not their tribe. Now we're not talking salvation here. Just, just get it out of your mind. He says he refused, he chose not their tribe. He went a different way. Yet, now they're saying, after all that they have gone through, we need restoration. We need the God Almighty to restore us. We need that high priestly blessing so that we can be delivered. We, we heard about the, the scope of the word saved, the, 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 the meaning, the, the broad meaning of the word. We, we need that so that we can be saved. And this is what I want us to take away this evening. This, this prayer. For our nations, for us personally, for our communities, for our church. Just, this is the prayer that we need to take away. The author says, quicken us or revive us. Revive us and we will call on thy name. Revive us and we will call on thy name. Restore us. Restore us. And that's what we need in our churches. That's what we need in our lives. This is the call for our people of God that found themselves ostracized from the blessings that's why the author would say cause thy face to shine upon us the idea of the ironic blessing is the presence of god the face of the, the face of god not having god's back turned to them it is a kingly image Back in the time when there were kings, if the king ever turned his back on you, you were done. That was it. That either meant death, or that either meant you don't come back to me again. And for a subject to turn the back on a king was well, just as equally bad. I mean, that, that was certain death. So whenever you went in the king's presence, you would go forward. But then when you would leave, you do this. And you step back and you back your way up. You don't ever turn your back on the king. That's probably the biggest insult you can do to a king. So the idea of causing God's face to shine upon us is having the, the favor, the, 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 the presence of the king on you. The blessings of the hands restore us so that we can regain the presence of God so that we can be saved. Do we need that in our lives? Do we need that in our churches? Understand, these are people of God. 
Notice the history. These are the people that God redeemed unto himself out of Egypt. They are classified as divine. And they're begging for restoration. They're begging for revival. They're begging for the presence of God to return so that God's presence, God's favor, God's blessing can once again shine on them and they can be saved. How's your life doing? You feeling a little Ichabod? If you all don't know what that means. Feeling a little bit of the glory gone. The ark is gone. Everything seems to go downhill. Restore. Revive. God, we need your presence in our churches. God, we need your favor in our country. God, we need you in our lives. We need to be saved. So, now when God revives his church, you know what's going to happen? We're going to find some unsafe people walking down the road. You know what? And then all of a sudden they're going to turn in. And you're going to go to them, you're going to ask them, well, hey, so what caused you to come here this morning? And they're going to say, you know, I don't know. I was just walking by, and I just felt this, I just felt this pull to come in here. And they're going to hear the word of truth, and they're going to see. And there's going to be massive transformation. You know, and that, and while I was, thinking through this I thought of someone in, a, in our church that literally that happened to I rem and I remember it clear as day uh, because that, that day is etched in my mind because that, that was the day that I decided to start on this, this road I don't know if I told you this story but I'll tell you it again there's a guy in our church I remember it clearly First time I ever saw him, comes to church. He literally, this is not a joke, he literally skips through the side door. I mean skip, this is not uh, a metaphor. He literally skips through the side door. You get what I'm saying? I mean, he's like, skip through the side door. That's that thing. I saw it with my own eyes, literally. For some reason, some reason he he had got saved I think a week earlier for some reason that morning we had um, what it was we had um, testimonies we don't normally have testimonies but for some reason that morning we had testimonies and he got up and said that he thanked God it was Sunday because he get to shine his shoes to come to church. Everyone chuckled and laughed. I remember I was I was ushering that day. 
Now I said to myself, I said to myself, you know what? I don't ever think I was that happy to come to church. <laughs> but you know what his testimony was? His testimony was that he was a woman. Or he, he went to sleep. God talked to him. And the vision said, you've got to go to church and get sick. You've got to go to that church and get sick. So guess what happened Sunday? He went to that church and got sick. Crazy. Incredible stuff happens when God's face shines yeah. upon his church. That's right. But that can only happen if God restores. If we, like this author, beg God to restore us, cause his face to shine on us, so that we can be saved. This is the only way it's going to happen. We have heard incredible things this week. I mean, wonderful things even. Things from scripture that challenged us, you know, spiritually and challenged us in other ways. Now we get to go home and do what? Cry out to God based on what we heard for him to revive and to restore so that his face can shine on us so that we can be saved. Our God and Father, we appreciate so much and if we too, God, can pray like this psalmist, restore us again, O Lord God of hosts, and cause your face to shine on us, so that we can be saved. God, when you do, we be sure to give you thanks. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.